Hello humans, I'm Amy Mallet and welcome back to my game Fiction Addiction. It's been 84 years since the last episode. It's actually been two months, a very, very long two months. So much has been going on. Firstly, me and my partner in crime, Leo Bailey, have moved in together. Secondly, work has been mental. Those who know me well know I am lucky enough to work in the games industry and during the build up to next gen, not sure if you've heard about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, my job has been bonkers. I mean, lots of fun has been had. I got to hang out with a Viking. Uh, I explored virtual London. I beat up some Minotaurs, but naturally podding had to take a backseat. So sorry for leaving you like a neglected Tamagotchi in the back of a drawer. We promise it will be full steam ahead from now on. To those of you listening for the first time, this is the podcast where every episode, me and a co-host dive headfirst into one of gaming's greatest storylines, talking about characters, themes, dialogue, and the rubbish decisions that we made along the way. And we've arrived now at one of the most divisive, complex, and emotionally charged titles in video game history, The Last of Us Part Two. We've already covered the first game and the Left Behind DLC, so go back and listen to those if you haven't. And now we're following up on the second part of Neil Druckmann's apocalyptic epic. Part two was released back in June of this year. That's 2020, not a year we'll probably forget in a hurry. And it became PS4's fastest selling exclusive of all time. I think it sold around 4 million in three days, which is nuts. Like the first game, it was critically praised for its storytelling, graphical fidelity, and characters. And once again, it wasn't afraid to champion progressive representation in gaming, featuring same-sex relationships and a new transgender character, which is a big, awesome deal for the LGBTQ community. Unlike the first game, it pissed off a lot of people. There was a swirl of hate surrounding the game, including review bombing on Metacritic, which resulted in a ridiculously low user review score of 3.4. And even one of the game's actors, Laura Bailey, received death threats. Which, let's just take a minute here, guys. She played a fictional character in a video game. Come the f*** on, Bridget. Many players, myself included, feel that the hate the game received was massively disproportionate to some of its due criticisms. And unfortunately, it, it does seem like a lot of the rage sprang from deeper issues of ignorance, misogyny, and bigotry. It's important to remember that this kind of toxic rage and prejudice in the industry is never representative of the majority of players, but rather just a select bunch with the loudest voices. As the game itself carries the message of there being two sides to every conflict, we'll do our best to address some of the reasons as to why fans felt betrayed or angered by the sequel. It's also worth pointing out that some people genuinely didn't like the game as a matter of heartfelt opinion on the story, not just because of their political beliefs, and that is great. That is the beauty of opinions. Joining me once again to dive into The Last of Us Part 2 is my partner and Absolute Radio video producer, Leo Bailey. We have a lot of feelings about Part 2, as does the whole of the internet, so we're actually going to make this one a two-parter. This is The Last of Us Part 2, Part 1, which definitely sounded better in my head, but it's the only way to make sure we give the game the attention it deserves and keep to a good digestible length. Plus, you lovely lot get two episodes for the price of one! Spoilt. So yeah, part one is here now and part two will be live in a few days. If you want to have your say on the game, let us know your thoughts or recommend a game narrative we should cover next. You can on Twitter at MyGameFiction or at MyGameFictionAddiction on Instagram. And if we make your ears a little happier, a review on Apple Podcasts would be splendid. Enjoy the episode.
So I'm going to open this up by saying that this game has, in my opinion, the holy trinity. Enlighten me. Seals, <laughs> dogs, and dinosaurs. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, that wasn't what I thought you were going to say, but it, it does have all three of those. As everything that like eight-year-old Amy wanted in the <laughs> whole of the world was should, seals, dogs, and dinosaurs. You should premise that with your holy trinity. As usual, I'll kick it off with a question themed around the game because that worked quite nicely for us last time. Based on the theme of The Last of Us 2, have you, Leonardo de Bailey, ever taken revenge on someone, and if so, how? I don't know if I should tell this story. Am I going to think of you as a bag of shit? I think it's more like, oh, you little rapscallion, rather than (laughs) devious criminal. This happened a long time ago. This Mm. was when I was about 11. Last week. Yeah, this was when I took revenge on one of my first girlfriends. Um... Well, hopefully he isn't listening to this. And she's so- here tonight! <laughs> Bring her in! Sorry if you are, Tash. We were around uh, a friend's house, I think playing board games. So we're all sat around a table. For some reason, like, I think I'd either caused her to lose or I'd won or something. She pushed me off my chair and everyone was like, oh, Tash, that's really, that's really nasty of you. So feeling remorseful, maybe, <laughs> she leant down to about, shall we say, bum height to help me up. Oh, and I farted as hard as I could. <laughs> right in her face. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> <laughs> The best bit about that whole thing was as hard as I could. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the end of my first relationship. Well, I'm terribly sorry about that, Tash. That seems like um, it would have been better if if the cast of The Last of Us 2 had in fact just farted in each other's faces to settle their differences. She weren't happy about it. Well, no, I mean, I wouldn't be. Was her mouth open? (laughs) (laughs) I think people around the table afterwards, their mouths were open. They were shocked. So talking of talking of shock then let's let's get moving on to the topic of the game. So one thing I wanted to talk about was the controversy surrounding The Last of Us 2. Loads of critics and players like me and you did enjoy the game, but so many people um were up in arms about it. And there seems to be a few reasons for this. The first one was people felt duped and we can understand where the duping kind of came from because Neil Druckmann was trying to preserve some of the spoilerific elements of the game. Mm-hmm. I can that's the one that's the one reason I can kind of I, I understand a bit clearer. I think I would have felt worse had it have been spoiled for me than just going into something. I mean think about like trailers these days are so ridiculously transparent with everything that's mm-hmm. in them you know completely what you're going into with any game in any film it was actually really nice i think to have the rug pulled out from underneath you a little bit it really was it sort of challenged the notion of what a game trailer can be exactly yeah and I- should you believe a game trailer completely exactly well i've got a lot of friends who don't even watch trailers going into things because they know that something is inevitably going to get spoiled for them and god the amount of trailers that you see that are just the plot of the thing you mm. know before they actually happen um but that was one of the main reasons was that people felt that you know Druckmann uh did a funny by dressing elements of the trailer up to be unrepresentative of the main game and we'll get to that main crucial plot point when we start off i mean i'll be honest i was i was like clever I, yeah. I more like yeah. wanted to applaud them because I hadn't seen anybody do that before. Well played, Mr. Drugman. The second thing was, and I don't know how you feel about this, but a lot of people felt like Naughty Dog had become social justice warriors. So they saw it as they were promoting 
LGBT and progressive views and representation over a good storyline and that hindered the final result. I don't feel that way at all. No, I wouldn't. I, I don't feel that way. Yeah. I can understand people feeling duped. I can understand people feeling resentful that they sort of were led uh, led down the, the road a bit, if that's the right expression. <laughs> well, you led down the road, but I, I don't feel that it, in any way the representation was something that was bashed in my face in a in a overt way or in a way that was obscuring the, the best of the story. All those characters were really authentic, I thought. I thought it was visible. Yeah. And it was there and you were aware of it, but I don't think it came at the detriment of the story. It didn't. Um, I think characters like Lev, who, you know, their struggle of being a transgender person were, were kind of woven into uh, the storyline, but it was never to the point of everything else kind of surrounding that and that feeling like the only reason that they told that story. Mm-hmm. There were so many other elements as a part of it. Um, and I can't help but think that, you know, games do need more representation in these in these minority areas. So mm. I think it's a great thing. I don't think, I think unfortunately there is just a lack of acceptance in lots of ways. And I think two really strong females, that also was something that a lot of people were very oh, about because you spent the first game playing as a really rugged man. There were lots of comments about Abby being too muscly. And obviously mm-hmm. Druckmann was like, well, you you know if you look at her environment and her surroundings she it's not unrealistic like she no. has the the uh the means to get that that ripped yeah <laughs> and the final thing that i think you'll agree was one of the major factors in in a lot of toxic views on the internet was just the idea of toxic fanaticism so people were disappointed and upset due to the attachment to fictional characters like laura bailey who played abby got death threats because of her role in this game. Really? She genuinely do not know that. She no, got I didn't she know got that. so many death threats. It's bonkers because Yeah, it, it's like there was a story that these that these creators wanted to tell and people were upset because it wasn't what they wanted. So they almost redirect that at the at the people who are a part of it. They get angry at the situation, not the fact that it's their emotions reacting to it. Like I felt uncomfortable playing the game. I got upset at the game. Oh, yeah. Got angry at the game lots, but I never felt like oh my emotions are wrong the game is that you know my emotions are actually absolutely fine it's the game that's at fault i mean if anything it shows you how far we've come in in mocap yeah that people would actually (laughs) go oh these are real people did she really do that terrible thing i'll be honest there were moments where i i remember having to like go wait a second these aren't real Mm. people they are graphical representations are just I started to buy into it so much you do you absolutely do the mocap is incredible and the performances are just impeccable and you get absolutely lost in the all these tragedies that are unfolding yeah one thing that I was going to say to you for to me it wasn't deliberately uncomfortable and emotionally shocking as a way of pushing the boundaries it felt like it was always in character like I mean I use this example a lot but you've never seen it but Game of Thrones the final series of Game of Thrones really just like messed with how characters should have behaved would have behaved the pacing was all over the place and it felt like they just wanted it done whereas with this fair enough parts of it weren't they weren't comfortable to behold and they they were very unsettling and and harrowing but that was part of it would you like to press the spoiler alarm oh yeah yeah boy 
Sa-sa-sa, spoiler alert. If you don't want plot details, get out of here, because we dish in the dirt. We are about a blurt, so if you ain't played it yet, spare your poor ears, and no one gets hurt. We know you'd be pissed if you're in the midst of a really great game, and we told you the twist, or told you who died, and how much we cried, but feel kind of bad for derailing your ride. We've been there before, and it is a shit out when some total posts the ending on Twitter. So back away now, and you won't get scorned, because spoilers are coming, and you have been warned. So the game begins by addressing the very thing that we were mulling over in our heads at the end of the first game. Joel's murder spree to save Ellie from going under the knife. We open on Joel confessing what happened to Tommy on patrol on the outskirts of Jackson. I was supposed to take her to the Fireflies and walk away. Jesus Christ, Joel. What do you do? I saved her. After the confession, Joel and Tommy ride back to Jackson and Joel goes to find Ellie. Immediately, he goes into dad mode and hovers awkwardly around her room trying to make small talk before finally sitting down to play her a song on guitar. And it's Future Days by Pearl Jam and we're going to hear a lot of it throughout the game and also just hauntingly in our heads now forever. If I ever were to lose you I'd surely lose myself Everything I have found here, I'm not found by myself. Boom, four years later. Let's talk about the first half of the prologue. So this is when 19, maybe 20 at most year old Ellie wakes up. She's been on the lash at the barn dance the night before and we're introduced to her life here in Jackson, her patrol duties and her friends Dina and Jessie. So the first thing that struck me when I stepped outside of Ellie's cabin in the prologue is, oh my God, Jackson has had a glow up. Like in the first game, Jackson is just like four walls of scrap metal and a generator. And it's its own little town now. It's massive. It is huge. It it was really visually impressive. It's bigger than my hometown. (laughs) It's got more pubs. (laughs) That's not hard, though, is it? No, yeah. Hey, Wellingborough, if you're listening, you don't want to offend the Wellingburian lot, you know. All is that the what cha- they're called? The Wellingburians, yeah. The chavs okay. will come for you. You'll have a Burberry cap on your pillow. The, one of the first things it asks you to do uh, is pet a dog, which I thought, as soon as I saw that, I was like, Amy's going to love this bit. Yeah. Amy's going to hate a lot of the rest of it for opposing reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In relation to dogs. But um, yeah, no, that petting of that good boy at the beginning, I loved that. <laughs> It oh, I loved you, it. It lulls you into a false sense of security right from the off. The beginning of it is a little bit like The Hangover, isn't it? It kind of does that very classic trope in, in movies, TV and sometimes in games where you get a fraction of what's happened the night before and you kind of end up having to like piece it together, piece it back together yeah. be a bit of a detective on your way through because mm-hmm. you realise that something's gone down with Joel and Ellie. Like They've clearly had some kind of bust up. You don't know whether it was just last night or whether it's been longer than that. And you're kind of getting all these little tidbits from Jesse like, oh, you kissed this person Mm -hmm. and then this person called you a bad you know homophobic slur and i love the bit when they go and get the bigot sandwiches what you got there bigot sandwiches Mm. smells good and the snowball fight that you do at the start is great as well because that's basically a snowball fight wrapped in an action tutorial isn't it yep 
And we see that a lot in The Last of Us because in Left Behind, there was that um, water fight, wasn't there, that felt like a tutorial, even though we technically, if you've played the full game, already done the bit with Creepy Douchebag David, Mm -hmm. that whole bit um, was almost training you to try and listen for infected and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's wonderful how their tutorials feel so intrinsic to the story. I'm curious, before we move on, what did you think happened between Ellie and Joel? What was your like, what was your version of this night that they had, this barn dance? Like we said about the the material that went out first in the trailer. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was a. I knew it was probably something to do with the Dina and Ellie kiss. Yes, because we actually that you're right. That was one of the first things they that, ever showed I think that us. Was the first thing. Yeah, they showed was the barn dance scene. But actually, mm. that comes right at the end of the game. Yeah, I remember thinking like, when's this? When's that gonna show up? Yeah, because I wondered if that was another one of their like gonna dupe you. Yeah, and it was actually something completely different. Precisely, it's out of context. Mm. Yeah, it's like the Hangover at the beginning in the sense that you have to piece it together then and there, yeah. and you have to piece together the timeline as the game rolls on. Now, something big happens that many players were not expecting. You take the role of a brand new character, which is the first time we're introduced to Abby. She's camping not far from Jackson in a lodge with a bunch of friends. She takes a walk with Owen, flirts with Owen, argues with Owen because that bitch got male pregnant, and then she heads off by herself, gets trapped by a horde, and is rescued by Joel and Tommy. So what were your thoughts when you suddenly became Abby out of the blue? One of the things I remember thinking um, was... And we talked about this when we covered the the original game, The Last of Us, is I think the opening to The Last of Us was possibly one of the greatest opening sequences of any game I've ever played. Mm -hmm. And I remember being at that moment being a little bit disappointed because I thought Ellie's um, search and quest was going somewhere and Mm -hmm. then it kind of stops and you jump to Abby. And I remember at that point being slightly like disappointed and thinking Mm. oh this isn't quite the opening that I would have hoped for absolutely and it's a slow burner because clearly that that kind of big immense moment of loss is coming it's Mm. right around the corner as much as we're trying to repress it (laughs) so um yeah it definitely does lull you a little bit into that false sense of security because Ellie's life is so peaceful and tranquil at the beginning but yeah Abby is uh she's interesting there's a lot of names all of a sudden you're getting like Mel and Owen and Manny and all these names and you're like I don't know who any of these people are and it's like the game almost expects you to suddenly be in this social group full of other people that you've never met um I love I think probably the bit that stuck out the most for me is when Abby leaves Owen and she's just found out that Mel's pregnant what is going on with you Mel's pregnant oh (laughs) okay it's not just that, though. Should I say congrats? Gets a bit Jeremy Kyle, and she's just like, he got Mel pregnant. And you can imagine that every runner she's killing, she's just picturing Mel's face on that <laughs> runner as she's stabbing them. Like, she's so... You really feel, like, the rage there, and you're like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on in this scenario? So having escaped the horde, Abby ends up back at the lodge with Joel and Tommy. She and her group attack them. And Ellie, concerned that Joel and Tommy are missing, tracks them down and thus begins one of the most harrowing scenes of any video game I've ever played, where Joel is beaten, tortured and eventually killed by Abby in front of Ellie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to say anything besides that noise. Yeah. It was intense. It was absolutely... It was the most harrowing, most emotionally sensitive thing because the fact that Ellie is there and she represents the player in that moment because she's yelling at the top of her lungs and nothing is being done about it. Get up! Joel, fucking get up! 
Please stop! Please don't shoot! Joel, please get up! No! Abby is so menacing in this scene. Like, you obviously see more of her as the game goes on and we'll talk more about her mm-hmm. development. But that line that she says where he says to her, he does a very cool, cool guy Joel thing where he's like... Why don't you say whatever speech you got rehearsed? Get this over with. Abby's remark is so cutting and so emotionless. And it's just, that's the part that made my skin crawl. The idea of you don't get to rush this, that she has traveled all this way. And it's not just to take his life, Mm. but it is actively to see him suffer. Stupid old man. You don't get to rush this. Oh, it's oh, it's brutal. I think that's the thing. It's almost like we saw flashes of Ellie challenging Joel in the first game, but it is that power shift of Joel wanting to be in control, mm. and then Abby, as you say, telling Joel that she's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna rush this. Absolutely, because you're absolutely. Do you know what you're right? Because yeah, Joel has always been the kind of like that. I mean, alpha male, but also like the the dominant figure in the whole of the game. Mm. He's the poster boy of it all, and he's the guy who has an answer for everything. He's the one who gets out of every situation. He survives, God knows what, in his lifetime. And for the fact that yeah, he tries to kind of give her like a smarmy retort of like whatever this is, just do it, and she responds that way. It yeah, it totally shifts the power, and it's electrifying. Like I was screaming at the TV. I'm sure everybody else was as well. And true to video game form, uh, and also movies and TV sometimes as well, I've got this thing where if I don't see them die on screen, I'm like, they're totally coming back. The only other um, exception to that rule is if you see a tombstone and the very next scene, boom, Joel Miller, may he rest in peace. And I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah, (laughs) I felt exactly the same way. I was like, you can't be dead. No, you can't be dead. There's no no way Joel can be dead at at this point in the game because as you, as you say yeah. because of the, the 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 trailer and i was like no he's coming back he's coming back this is not right anybody who's played the first game mm. has built up a bond with joel absolutely and you almost because they let you pilot abby right from the off there's a part of me that felt slightly responsible mm. because you mm. got you got them to meet up yeah and you almost initiated in a in a small way that um sequence in the cabin yeah absolutely like did you feel like a certain part of you had led her to him because yeah a little you, bit yeah i felt a little bit responsible a little bit guilty it, it's easy to see how toxic fanaticism can become a thing because not only was this character that we all loved and we all adored killed off but executed in such a brutal way mm-hmm. it wasn't just like oh this person's had a hero's death it was like no this person's laid there bleeding with a golf club in their neck on the floor in front of the person who looks up to them who sees them as their protector it was the equivalent of being like your heartstrings getting flayed wasn't it That's <laughs> it was true. just intense it's a, a such a blessing and a, and a powerful thing that their performance evokes that it's just a shame when it goes beyond the realms of, of fantasy mm-hmm. um and actually i think somebody was saying to neil Druckmann, i read an interview i can't remember which developer or which um sort of industry person it was but someone I'm sure I read an interview where someone said to Neil Druckmann, you've made something big and there are there are, there are consequences that are both positive and negative to that. And I feel like maybe that's it. Maybe the, it's almost the cost of making something so good 
is that mm. inevitably you're going to break a lot of hearts in the process. It was completely different to the way that they started the first game, but it was no less impactful. It was it was slightly longer and yeah, drawn staggered out. Staggered out a bit more. But yeah. the impact and the... Um, it went toe-to-toe with the, with the first game as far as prologues go. Completely different change of pace, mm. but unbelievable start to a game. Incredible. After that emotional crescendo, it feels like the game truly begins. We've lost our father figure, a beloved former protagonist, a PlayStation icon, no less, and now it's all about Ellie's journey to get revenge and find the people that murdered Joel. We're off to Seattle, and Dina is coming with us. And so begins a three-day stint in Seattle. We'll start off with day one. So Dina's coming along for the ride, which is great. They're like a fully-fledged power couple now. Um, She says something quite poignant, which I think... um, plays into the ending and I'll come back to this later but Dina says uh, when they're in the graveyard and Ellie's like right I'm going to go after Abby Dina says Ellie you go I go at the time I was like oh that's awesome they're bound together you know she's going to stick by her I think that almost has a double meaning at the end and I'll explain when we get there Mm. Um, but anyway Ellie and Dina they start scouring the buildings Um, this is where you get the fuck Fedra gate and all that stuff Um, I felt weird like a a strange um, shift of uh, tone during this section of the game the first day in Seattle because it's beautiful lush green rolling hills you've got like the sun shining down on you guys on the horse you're going around you're exploring the only real threat you have to contend with is the infected because there's no wlf um you know the seattle guys that they're after there's no wolves anywhere so you actually just have it it felt weird but i wrote this down in my notes like it felt like a really nice vacay like a nice (laughs) holiday like we're getting over the trauma of joel's death by going on a jolly and it's me and my girlfriend against the world and then you remember every now and again that you're there to murder people. Like, it was such a slow burn into it. Yeah, Did you feel the same? True. Yeah, sort of riding around on horseback. Gets a bit open world. It does. Yeah, yeah. You get to explore mm. banks and, like, old uh, courthouses and stuff, don't we, you? We had a, a debate about this because we thought that that section... Uh, of Seattle was going to be bigger, didn't we? We did, yes. And I feel like if you look at the map, it looks like... It looks they, massive. They might have... I feel like they might have reined that bit back. Yeah. Because it looked in when you look at the map, you're like, oh, if this had all been free free mm. reign and free roam, this would have been huge. Definitely. And I think actually the pacing is... My only issue with the pacing here is that I think maybe if they had made the map bigger, it would have been even more of a problem. But mm. this bit felt like you were there forever. Like it literally felt like you were on some sort of bizarre little honeymoon together. And every yeah. now and again, it was like, oh yeah, this is what we're meant to be doing. Like you get a lot of exposition between Ellie and Dina here. Um, they talk about Dina being Jewish and her background and... They get that awesome... There's one really nice bit where they're coming out of a car park and uh, they help each other finish um, pulling down a shutter and Ellie turns to Dina and she's like... Good job, babe. Thanks. Good job, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, this is a really nice bit. It's so different from the prologues, like the harrowing end of the prologue. Um, But it did go on for a long time. In comparison to the other days, this bit did feel like a slight open world gambit. It didn't feel quite the same as the other days. This is something that I was thinking about, actually, the other day uh, in the shower, as you do. (laughs) Um, Just the fact that one of the things that I think that both humanises and makes The Last of Us more realistic in many ways is its subtle connection to our world. Because there are loads of like pop culture references and sort of tiny weeny little things that are sort of drip fed in throughout the plot 
that almost make it more believable and more humanized simply because we can relate to them like not all of it there's loads of things that i think there's a band that ellie likes that's fictional there's movies her and joel watch that are totally fictional but they're probably based on like clint eastwood movies Mm -hmm. but you've got like the fact that future days by pearl jam is the song and take on me by aha is the song like they're fragments of our real world that have bled through into this fictional reality And I thought that was really quite cool because it somehow anchors it more to, I to did, our I reality. I did notice that I, I, when you go into the music shop in Seattle, mm. it was very sort of grunge inspired. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I was looking at the posters and I was like, yeah, the, these guys are definitely sort of like rock music grunge fans definitely. who have kind of like sprinkled little trinkets. But I, I do like the fact that the yeah the musical, the breadth of the music mm. uh, was very wide ranging. And, and as you say puts a foot in reality mm. uh, and our pop culture. Yeah. Even in the museum scene, which we'll obviously get to, um, I think it's maybe the end of this day, actually, the birthday gift scene. Joel references Jurassic Park a lot. Like, he starts talking about this movie he saw back mm. in the day, and I think Ellie's like... Uh, what is this movie, and when can we see it? So in terms of uh, the wolves actually meeting up with the wolves, in day one does seem like it goes on for a bit, but then you get that moment where the horse explodes. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, not the actual not, horse. I was not expecting that. That Everybody, shit me up. It basically explodes. It does explode. It, it jumps over a, like what, a barbed wire thing and what, a mine goes off or something. What's the horse's name, isn't it? Um, oh, God. Um, uh, like Shimmer. Shim, is it Shimmer? It is Shimmer. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really sure like, it's no. Shimmer. No. Shimmer, no. <laughs> <laughs> you took Joel away. You took Shimmer. Shimmer away. I draw the line at Shimmer. It's horrible because the horse, the explosion happens and you get thrown off, don't you? Dina gets thrown off too. Um, and then the one of the guys, I think it's Jordan, just comes along and shoots the horse in the head and you're like, the fuck? Yeah. Um, but he is the first one of the wolves to die. So we get captured by those guys, don't we? Uh, she kills Jordan. She shanks him in the neck. Um, After Dina falls through a glass ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> like a total badass i was like yeah great well done oh no oh she's on the glass oh no she's down the floor she walks it off jordan has a nude doesn't he a tip pick from oh, yeah. leah and obviously ellie and dina are like oh okay this leah chick she's at the, the tv station so we'll go there and we'll see if we can find her and it's almost like this following loose threads because you're you're essentially tracking somebody mm-hmm. um which i think is a very different thing because ellie has always been quite brutal but only ever really in self-defense and in like survival mode whereas now it's like she's the predator yeah. which i thought was really interesting at the start of the game, you find Abby at the end of her trail finding Joel mm. and you wonder how she got to that point. Exactly. And then it's almost like flipped in reverse. You're with yes. Ellie starting the start of the trail yep. trying to find Abby. You're seeing that mental degradation from the trauma that's happened. Mm. Yeah, of course. Jordan, Isaac's got us posted up on a two-week at the TV station. Scars spotted in the area. Here's something to hold you over, Leah. TV station. You think she's still there? I gotta find out, right? Dina is pregnant. And 
she kind of starts being a bit weird when you're on the trail of like Leah and you go to the to the TV station, don't you? And that's when you see the massacre um, of all yeah. those people hung up and gutted, which would be enough to make anyone sick, to be fair, Dina. You know, props to you. But she starts being sick and obviously Ellie's like, what's wrong? Uh, my first thought was like, fuck, has she been bitten? Because when anyone starts acting weird in this game, the first thought is just, are they bitten? Crap. Um but she's pregnant and she's suddenly really out of breath and she suddenly gets really ill. I felt like that kind of went from naught to 60 with me because mm. it's almost like she's like, she's perfectly fine. She's come along on this journey. She's been killing things left, right and centre with you. She's been saving you, falling through a glass ceiling like Tom Cruise. And suddenly she's like, oh, I'm actually really out of breath and I need to be sick. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've never been pregnant. No, so no, me neither. I'm not quite sure how quickly uh, morning sickness comes on. I suppose, yeah. But I know what you mean. It, it just did... felt a bit like intense, you know. Like mm. all of a sudden, she's she's gone from. I can understand it if she felt a bit woozy the whole time, or she wasn't at her best. But it felt like that came on a bit suddenly. That was my only mm. thing with that is that suddenly Dina's up the duff, and we're like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but I love that scene where Ellie has to reveal. She's forced to reveal to her that she's bitten. Do you remember? Because oh, the, spores on the, the mask. mask breaks yeah. and she just, obviously Dina wants her to share it and she's like, no. Ellie, your mask. Here, we can share mine. No, 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 no. Don't do it. Stop. Stop. Ellie, stop. Ellie, stop. What? No. Ellie, no. Stop. I'm not infected. I'm immune. I'm not coughing, do you see? One's learnt, one's pregnant. One's learnt, one's immune from a zombie apocalypse. And it's like, okay. It's been a day of discoveries for everyone. <laughs> Every day's a school day. <laughs> At the end of day one, we're treated to a heart-wrenching flashback to three years earlier when it's Ellie's birthday and Joel takes her to an abandoned museum where he basically creates Ellie's dream birthday. This made me think of The Last of Us Left Behind. You know where she's going down the escalator and Riley's taking her off to the shopping centre? Oh, yeah. And she's like uh, trying to guess what it is that Riley's got to surprise her and she's like, is it a dinosaur? Is it a dinosaur? Stop trying to guess. I ain't telling you. <sighs> All right, is it an elephant? <sighs> is it a convertible? You're not gonna guess. Is it a puppy? Is it a lot of kittens? You mean a litter? What's a litter? A bunch of kittens. It's actually a dinosaur, Joel nailed it. Actual dinosaur. Actual well, dinosaur. Actual dinosaur models. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, who's who's seen a real dinosaur <laughs> these days? I think my favourite bit about that is the uh, achievement that you can get if you put the, put hats the hat on, him. on all the dinosaurs. <laughs> hey, trophy, this is a PS4 exclusive. Oh, sorry. No achievements in sight. You've, been, you've had an Xbox Series X for one day. <clears throat> oh, hello, sorry, the dinosaurs are busy right now. What are you doing? Oh, wait, one of the dinosaurs is here. Joel? It's for you. Very funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Did you get it? It's because you're old. No, I get it. Yeah. Okay. I remember thinking, Amy's going to fucking love this bit. <laughs> Actually, it was quite funny because I remember you messaging me and saying, I keep getting to parts in the game that I think you'll love. Mm. And this is a game. I don't know if you're uh, a secret fan of me, Druckmann, but there are so many moments in this game where I'm like, that's just me. Like the dinosaurs. I mean, the the hugging of the dogs. Not so much the slaying of the dogs, but the hugging of the dogs and the seals. Not enough games have seals. I recently was playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla for work, and there's a bit where you can eat a mushroom and hallucinate <laughs> seals, and I was off my tits with Joylio, just screaming at my demoist like this 
dancing seals everywhere. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so good. <laughs> There's not enough seals in games. And the fact that she puts the hat on every single dinosaur is really funny. Like, mm. I was cracking up. Because every time she does it, she looks at Joel for a reaction. Like, I've done it again. Joel, look. <laughs> that is a hat on a dinosaur. It's called a hatosaur. And the beautiful bit in the space shuttle, you know, like where he gives the tape. Um, is it the moon landing? That was fantastic. That's incre- That's that. one of the best bits of written and directed video game cutscene I've ever seen, ever. Mm. One thing that we always were told about in radio is the theatre of the mind. Mm. Um, and that is possibly one of the best examples of like theatre of the mind I've ever seen. So, Seattle Day 2, this felt a lot shorter in comparison to Day 1. Ellie wakes up, Dean has fixed the radio, they're listening for updates, they hear lone male trespasser, which they think could be Tommy. Ellie heads off solo, and apart from a brief reunion with Jessie, she basically spends most of this day alone. Uh, When she wakes up, I really thought Dina was going to be gone. Mm. That was my first thought. I don't know if you felt that way, but I had that sudden anxiety that they'd had this argument about her being pregnant and Ellie being immune and not telling her. And Ellie goes to sleep in the theatre with her guitar. And I really thought when she went back for Dina that Dina wasn't going to be there. The game duped me once again. Dina is there. And speaking of being duped, this is the scene where she goes off, Ellie goes off to try and like track down more wolves. And Jessie finds her. And that was the bit from the trailer, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that was spliced with an image of Joel. I've got to say that <gasps> personally, I mean, I know you said a few people thought felt duped Mm. i thought that was genius i genuinely thought that was phenomenally well done because they do it so well too they they edit it slightly differently where they hold on ellie slightly longer than they did in the trailer and i was like i know what should be coming next it should be joel and then they cut to jesse and he delivers exactly the same line doesn't he yeah What the hell are you doing here? I think I'd let you do this on your own. Jesse. He delivers it so well and almost yeah. sarcastically. Almost self-aware, isn't it? That's actually not sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, self-aware. Yeah. But almost like he's in on the joke. Gotcha. And it was, yeah. Because the, th- the thing is, like, people bitch about spoilers all the damn time, right? So if something like that... In my opinion, like if Druckmann has gone to that kind of attention and and kind of level of detail to preserve mm. that experience to make sure that it isn't spoiled for you, like that is the sign of a creator who wants you to to have something as raw as it can physically be. Mm. And I really admire that. Like I, I did feel slightly duped because I was like, oh my god, Joel! Like I yeah. really thought you were going to be in the whole game, but that was the story they were trying to tell, and I felt kind of humbled to go along on the ride with that. Yeah, and it was like hats off to you because you got me you know you totally got me and i'm glad in a way that i didn't know because i think i would have felt worse knowing that was going to happen than actually finding out that i'd been slightly misled by a trailer before that trailer came out Mm. i remember people going where's joel yeah where's joel what's happened to joel where's joel in all this uh promotional material exactly and then they put that out and it put it almost put everyone's mind at rest they're like oh yeah don't worry joel's there he's fine yeah, he's not. So Ellie is now going to find Nora. Um, there's a really, there's a couple of really cool bits actually when she's just off wandering the wilderness of Seattle that I was going to remind you of. Do you remember the bit with the workbench, where it's like a f- fucking massive jump scare? <laughs> 
you go to a workbench and you start to work on it oh, and then some fuck. guy rushes you yes yes that probably i think that scared me more than outlast than pt uh, yeah. i'm lying i've never played pt of course i haven't i'm a wimp but that was intense yeah <laughs> And it's almost like if you've ever played a game like Resident Evil, yeah. you almost have your safe spaces, yes, don't you? Yes, you, that, yeah. you have the save room That's a with the chest. Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, it's all right. I know when I'm in here, yeah. nothing's going to happen to yeah. me. And Last of Us completely fucked with that. You're in the animation. You're actually like polishing the guns at that point. Yeah. Like it lulls you, like you say, you think it's a Resident Evil typewriter room. You're like, I think oh, I was I having a sip bench. of tea at that yeah. point. I was like, right, here we go. I've got three Jeffa cakes balls deep in my face. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, nothing's going to happen now and i just turned and this guy rushes you and it is oh my god it's absolutely paralyzing (laughs) another great uh way the last of us part two puts a middle finger to video game tropes i also thought there was some really cool mini narratives and if you picked up on any of these like little storylines they kind of spread throughout the the wilderness of seattle one of them was about a guy called boris who was like he was the owner of the bow and he ended up like all of his neighbours were placed in a garage. He locked them in his garage because oh, they yes. were all going to turn. And mm. you find all these letters that kind of piece together his story and you find him with his bow and he's like a big fight that you have to take down. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That's a nice, yeah, that's a, that is kind of like a clever way of weaving in almost like side stories. Mm. It's almost like a written side quest. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you're following a slightly different narrative. Yeah. While still playing the main story. Yeah. Doesn't detract. Doesn't make you feel like it's a labour. Which a lot of side quests do. Let's be honest. A lot Mm -hmm. of side quests feel like chores. This um, just sort of was a nice little bit of a touch of um, exposition on this one guy. And when you find him and his bow. He reminded me of Boris the Blade from uh, Snatch. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. I just had it in my head as Boris the Blade the whole time. (laughs) Like he can't be killed. Um, But yeah he was great. I thought that whole section was really really well done. You get this flashback where it's Joel and Ellie. And they've gone to a shack. They're they're actually after a guitar, aren't they? They go music shopping together. And they find that couple that have turned. And they were actually a couple of teenagers who ran away from Jackson. And that's where Ellie, three years ago again, brings up the whole... I can't take my own life. I'm a fucking coward. Adam. Jesus. Only they were immune, right? And you realise that she's starting to think about what he did and whether it was all a bunch of bullshit basically um so we're getting closer to we still don't really know if ellie knows that but we're getting closer to figuring out whether she does yeah i still think she's she's known the whole time she's just she's accepted um the truth with a sprinkling of you know i was slightly different and i felt like she wanted to believe joel Mm. i 100 percent think she wants to believe joel but i think deep down she doesn't is now really the time for this We traveled across the entire country to bring me to the Fireflies. I had so many questions for them. Why did you pull me out of there while I was still unconscious? Because I let them run their tests. And when I saw that they were useless, I got us out of there. How do you know they were useless? Maybe if you you just would have given them more time, they could have figured something out. There was no cure. There's nothing that could help these people or anybody else. 
I know you wish things were different. I wish things were different. But they ain't. And uh, this is the last time that we're going to get a flashback where they're actually pretty matey because we're building up to the moment where he does tell her the truth. So we go and find Nora, who is obviously one of Abby's friends. You remember me? Yeah. You remember me. What do you want? Abby was here earlier. Where'd she go? I don't know. You shoot me. The sound will have every soldier come running. You'll still be dead. Tell me where she went and I'll think about letting you go. We could have killed you. Maybe you should have. Her response to the whole thing is, well, yeah, he got what was coming to him, which causes Ellie to fly off into a rage. She charges after Nora and we have this awful... You said it was a bit like Joel scene in the sort of you don't really see it, a lot of blood splatter. It's very horror movie-esque because you see it from Ellie's perspective. Yeah. You're almost made to feel that Abby is savage. Mm, mm. She's Aren't, a monster. She's yeah. a monster. In your eyes at that point, she's a monster. You feel like Ellie isn't like that. No, you know her. You know her better than that. You, you know? know her, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You've yeah. seen her grow up, basically, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And then you see that and you start to question the similarities between the two of them. Absolutely. Where's Abby? I'm fucking dead anyway. Why would I tell you anything? <coughs> because I can make it quick. Or I can make it so much worse. It suddenly starts to feel like an eye for an eye and you start to feel like... I mean, at this point, I was having... I think I said to you already, actually, before I'd even got to Nora... Um, there's quite a few conversations with Dina and Ellie during Seattle Day One where Dina starts to lay the groundwork of like, so they all didn't kill Joel, just this one person. I think she says something like uh, about Leah. She says, um, oh, we found her now. And Dina's like, so it would have been pretty fucked up to torture her because she didn't actually do anything. And Ellie says, she traveled hundreds of miles to torture him. I don't care whether she held the club or not. Shit. And that's that moment where it's like, oh, we're getting into dangerous territory now where this revenge cycle is actually going to become very toxic because nobody can have the final say. It will always have to be like, you know, Ellie's killed, Abby's killed Ellie. And I actually had that thought at that moment. Like, I couldn't tell how it was going to end because I was like, Mm. this is just going to be, it's going to go on forever until everyone's dead, basically, (laughs) because there's no end to it. Um, It was a vicious cycle, a literal vicious cycle. Nora's death is a significant moment in Ellie's half of this story because it's the first time Ellie herself tracks down and kills another human being, not out of self-defence or survival, but as a predator. She goes back to Dina, covered in blood, shaking, feeling ill. Something has changed in her forever now. And it's now, at such a vulnerable shift in Ellie's psyche, that we actually see the moment we've been waiting for and dreading since the first game, where the flashback happens and we see Ellie discovering the truth about what Joel did in the hospital. If you lie to me one more time, I'm gone. You will never see me again. But if you tell me the truth, I'll go back to Jackson. No matter what it is. 
Oh god, that's heart-wrenching, that scene. The fact that it takes him so long as well to spit it out. You're there in the silence, just like, say it, say it, say it. I really, I, I thought part of me thought he probably wouldn't. Like, he couldn't physically say it. Making a vaccine. Would have killed you. So I stopped them. I was wondering if it was something that he'd rehearsed in his head. Yeah. And it, it, it softened, isn't it, from the brutal horror that we actually experienced in the game yeah. uh, to what he says, which is just like, I stopped them. And yeah. it's like, okay. And Ellie knows exactly what, <laughs> what them stopped means. them means. <laughs> when you're playing as her in that scene, it's great because you're going through the hospital looking for the records, aren't you? You find the brain scans, etc. And at that point, it's a ticking time bomb because you, you're almost waiting for this. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you know an argument's coming, whether it's between your parents or between like two friends, but that tension is there, isn't it? You're like, this is going to end badly. I think this is also true of real life, but when someone lies to you repeatedly, particularly when you have suspicion in your head already, it just adds so much fuel to the fire. And I think so much of Ellie's reaction comes from the fact that she's told herself to believe him all these years. Like she has almost fueled this lie because she wants it to be true. Mm -hmm. And actually upon hearing the truth, it not only makes her realise that that purpose she always believed she had was in fact real, but she's also probably felt crazy all this time. It wasn't his life to take. He mm -hmm. robbed her of that purpose that she probably, you know, thought she didn't have after all that. And she did. She could have made a difference. And for Ellie, that was the biggest thing. She wanted her life to make a difference. And it's one of those scenarios where you tell yourself, you, you, you build it up in your mind, mm. but it was as bad as she could have imagined. Exactly. And I think I said this about the... We, we differed in our opinions at the end of the first game where you thought she knew. Mm. And I was of the opinion where there was an inkling, but she really wanted to believe mm. Joel. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is the moment where the whole Tower of Cards comes crumbling down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you fucking touch me! I'll go back. But we're done. Seattle day three. Nora is dead. We're a bit closer to finding Abby and Ellie's ready to go to the aquarium to confront her. Jesse tags along, having just worked out Dina is up the duff and they inevitably end up splitting up because Jesse wants to find Tommy after they hear two guards discussing his whereabouts. But Ellie, still hell-bent on revenge, argues and steals a boat to go after Abby herself. This leads to the confrontation in the aquarium and the eventual arrival of Abby at the theatre to find out who's been murdering all of her friends. So this is where I got angry at Ellie, really angry at Ellie, because 
the whole idea is they're going to get Tommy and they're going to get out of there because Dean is pregnant. She, you know, needs to see a doctor. She needs to go back to Jackson. And Ellie, it almost seems, has this sudden rush of bloodlust almost. I mean, it's not bloodlust, but it's like that line she's crossed. It's now done. It's gone. So it's almost like a point of no return, shall we say. She therefore decides to not go with Jesse to get Tommy, but actually to go straight after Abby. And I was really angry at that because I was like, your girlfriend's pregnant. This is the first part of her that started to get more and more deranged and me to start to see that degradation of her psyche. Like the Ellie that I knew would have cared more about. I wanted her to care more about Dina Mm. and Jesse and Tommy and not like, fuck it, I'm going to steal a boat and I'm going to go after them anyway. Abby is where he'll be headed. So if we just fall. He's in trouble. He can take care of himself. Jesus Christ. Best way to help Tommy is to go after Abby. You do this, I'm not saving your ass again. I really hope you make it. And the game forces you to play it that way, doesn't yep, it? Yeah, it totally does. This is, another, this is another reason, I think, why a lot of people were very angry about the idea of The Last of Us, because it felt like a storyline that you probably wouldn't have done that. Yeah. You would have done this. But actually, it's like, no, what would the character have done? So you end up going to the aquarium and she kills Mel. She kills Owen. She kills the dog. She kills the dog. I was going to say, Alice, don't even get me started on Alice. That was the worst. Where's Abby? You're that girl from Jackson. Tell me where she went. How do we know you won't kill us? Give her what she wants and we're dead. You guys can survive this. I just need her. Bullshit. Point to where she is on this map. And then you... It better fucking match up. Okay. What are you doing? She's probably dead anyway. It is not worth it. Stop! We can talk Wake about it. Wake the fuck up! Point to where she is. Fucking Christ! You get that kind of parallel between the fact that she's just found out Dean is pregnant. Well, she notices, doesn't she? She sees, yeah. After she's killed Mel. Yeah. That Mel's pregnant. I felt like Mel was the innocent party caught in between all of this shit. They're all awful people. They're all awful. Actually, yeah, do you know what? Dina and Mel. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. As much as Mel did annoy me a little bit, I don't really know why. Mel and Dina are kind of, they're the pregnant people who are actually caught in the... They're the voice of reason a lot of the time. A lot of the time. So you know you've killed, uh, like, so many wolves now. You've got rid of Owen and Mel, who were obviously, like, really big people in that first scene with Abby in the prologue, Mm -hmm. so you know they're close to her. You've dropped the map. What a wally. Abby turns up. She shoots Jesse dead and she's there demanding answers shit Jesse stand up hands in the air I shoot this one too don't you do it Ellie get out of here stand up now don't you fucking dare shut the fuck up Abby says one of the best lines I've ever heard in a video game and that is We let you both live. And you wasted it. That hit me like a ton of bricks because morally you start to go, 
fuck i've i've messed up here because this is the whole thing like dina has kind of dropped these little subtle hints in all the way around seattle that actually like is this gonna really solve anything this whole hunt for revenge because they did let tommy and ellie live the wolves did not kill everyone it wasn't a mass slaughter fair enough it wasn't you know we want revenge for joel but is this actually going to solve anything and are we the monsters that we came here to kill it it did feel like a waste it felt like oh my god we could have both walked away and had great lives mm-hmm. and yet we we've done this if it was you making the re- you know you making the decision absolutely you might do it completely differently yeah. but as you say you play the character yep not yourself exactly yeah and me and my friend ben were having this conversation the other day hi ben if you're listening the fact that uh, he made a great point it's actually quite nice that you get to truly feel like you're authentically playing as this person because a lot of people felt like they didn't agree with what joel did at the end of the game uh, in last of us hands up you felt that way but that's what joel would have done um and i guess we'll get there towards the end of this game but one of the quotes from Joel at the end of this game on that scene is I would do it all over again and I think that speaks volumes it's the characters that we're playing it's not this is where I think the distance needs to come from people who get too attached to the idea it's a beautiful story a tragic story that you are being dragged along with and you don't have any agency in it and that Mm. there's something frustrating about that maybe to a lot of players but to me i actually quite like that i'm being told a story the game knows the story it wants to tell oosh blimey this game is honestly a lot That, friends, is the end of the first episode on The Last of Us Part 2. The second one will be up in a few days, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Just realise how gross the phrase, keep your eyes peeled, is. Feel free to let us know on our socials your recommendations for awesome game stories we should cover next. As always, massive thanks to Neil Kuhn for our amazing artwork, Daniel Ansel for the spoiler alarm, and Matt Chapman of Muchas Music for our ear-tickling theme song. See you again for part two of part two very soon. Bye!